I think at the end of the day, for the smart few that continue to navigate, understand their strategy, and position themselves to be distinctive and valued, there's always a great year ahead. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the BizDev Podcast, the podcast about developing your business. I'm David Baxter, and I am joined, per usual, by Gary Voigt. How's it going, man? Happy New Year. Going pretty good. Happy New Year to you, too. And more importantly, we are joined by Herb Cogliano, who is an entrepreneur and executive business coach. Welcome. Happy New Year to you, Herb. Yeah, thank you, guys. Excited for 2024. I think it's going to be even a better year for all of us and looking forward to uh, being on the show. Well, you're the first one for this year. Yeah, It's first time, first time. Here we go. So you mentioned 2024. Do you think... If you put your crystal ball on or hat on or something, you're putting something on somewhere. <laughs> is this better or worse? Do you think in general, not necessarily for you, I can get specific to you if you'd like. Generally, do you see 2024 as being better or worse a year? For huh. Are you asking for like startup funding and stuff like that? Or are you asking no, just specifically in, for business? In, in his experience, sure. however he wants to um, phrase it. I'm, I'm not picky. So Dave, as an entrepreneur, I think by nature, I'm an optimist. And there's always the silver lining in any market that good business owners can navigate and, and take advantage of. As a realist, I know we have an election coming up and we got a bunch of world global economic things that could impact us. Um, so I think at the end of the day, for the smart few that continue to navigate, understand their strategy and position themselves to be distinctive and valued, there's always a great year ahead. For those that maybe are not seeing the market dynamics, are not willing to pivot or pivoting quick enough, it could be a challenging year. And I hope that's nobody that's listening to your podcast. Spoken like a business coach right there. All right. I like it. <laughs> Gary, what do you think? What do you think this year? I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're going to be here next year. So what are your predictions? Have Good, hopes. bad, ugly. I you have, have high hopes. hopes. You're optimistic. Yep. And uh, I, yeah, just like uh, Herb, I'm an optimist and I do believe that some of the weirdness that happened in the tech industry over the last year is kind of panning out in my opinion. And it seems like um, like the whole AI thing is getting, was getting really weird, but now it, it seems to be like, it's a little more guided in the direction and all the, the doomsday predictions of it, taking everybody's job is kind of not going to happen, at least in the creative field. I know maybe in some other fields, it, it's a uh, eating away at some people's work, like copywriters and whatnot, but overall I'm excited. And see, I am. I'm generally an optimist. Say, oh, go ahead. I'm still not going to be able to afford the uh, Apple AR glasses, though. The Vision Pro. So. The, big, the big old goggles are supposed to come out. Maybe soon. 2025. <laughs> I just saw the email today. I just got the first marketing piece. Put in your order now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're starting to get those out there. It's, yeah, I am cautiously, I'm optimistic. Not about the, I'm not sure about the Apple glasses. I don't know about those yet. But in general, I think I think one part you're wrong on is I think AI is going to get so much weirder. This oh, really? Year. I think, yeah, I think we are, because they're opening in the next, 
the next little bit, uh, probably by the time this airs, uh, they're opening the store and you're going to see what happens when the average programmer just can make their own junk. And you're going to see just some crazy, crazy things, I believe, in the next, not even very long. I think you're going to start to see. Because remember, like, when the iPhone app store opened up, oh, you yeah. just got the weirdest. You had the beer app, right, that, that you could drink your beer out of your phone, which your fart apps were everywhere. AI has not gone through their fart app stage, and I think it's going to start. I had a, I think a it's colleague, gonna be really weird. I guess you can call him colleague. Someone that I knew through work asked me to design him an app for cigars. And I was like, well, what's the premise of it? He's like, I'm going to buy cigars. I'm going to try them. And then I'm going to rate them. And then everybody's going to want to download the app to see which ones I think are best. I'm like, are you buying like international? And he's like, no, just local ones. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. Just like Nailed two it. people that are going to want that app. I'm gonna be. You're rich. gonna have. You're gonna have an AI bot of the cigar smoking AI bot. That's coming. I'm telling but you, man. I there's gonna be every kind of AR, AI bot. I thought I heard he sold that idea as an NFT and made a lot of Bitcoin. So that's probably working out for him pretty well. I'm sure he's doing really well then. Yeah. You know, on that front, I heard a thing, a podcast the other day. Ninety nine point five. I might even be wrong. There might have been another nine in there. Of all NFTs ever made, are worth. No money, <laughs> nothing like who would have wow. thought? <laughs> who would have thunk? Okay, more important, let's talk to her because he is more interesting than NFTs. You are an executive business coach. Tell me what that means in layman's terms. Yeah, so, um, at my core, I'm an entrepreneur and I was born into a family business and have loved business my entire life. But our business was helping people get jobs. We're a North American technology staffing provider. We were around 54 years. And then we began with career education to supplement employment, computer training, make people even higher skilled, better potential jobs. But through that whole journey, what I loved doing was unleashing people's potential whether it was a candidate getting a more meaningful job, whether it was an employee developing them into the next level of management, or whether it was a student graduating, going from a low pay job of eight to $10 an hour to finally meaningful wage, 15 to $20 an hour. And that was just a pattern my entire life that I always enjoyed helping people see the best and achieve the best part of themselves. So our companies exited around 2018, our portfolio of companies. And I had, number one, my father has been my lifelong mentor and a business coach, lifelong entrepreneur. And I also had a gentleman named Bill Chaplin that was a business coach. And I saw the impact that they had on the people around them in the organizations they supported and when we exited, I said, out of all the things I could choose to do, I could just open another company and scale it, or I can help 20 other businesses and their employees in their community scale. And I really wanted to focus on impact. So my clients are purpose-driven business owners that are looking to scale their company, but in reality, they're really trying to scale and develop their leadership and their people. Because when you scale and develop the leadership team and the people, traditionally the business around it scales with it. 
And that's where I've gotten my joy. And that's why I do what I do today. So you, this is just interesting. You mentioned before we started recording that most of your clients, the businesses you work with, they will double in size in three to five years on average yes. with working with you. Yes. The, the question I don't understand there is no matter how good that leader is and his execution ops team is, how do they find double the clients? Where did those sales come from? I mean, even if you, these guys are all, you know, chewing nails and they're the best of the best, but they're still waiting until someone gives them something to do, right? How are you, how are they doubling in that regard? Yeah. So if you think a strategy, it's really about finding the growth opportunities. So maybe the way for one company to double is geographic expansion. Okay. Maybe the way for another company to develop is to go into franchising or maybe joint ventures or maybe a product extension that they never thought of. Quite frankly, some of the clients have too many products and by really focusing the portfolio and finding the real value add and then driving marketing and sales energy on a fewer products versus spread out over 20, we're able to scale that way. So it's normally the insight behind finding where the growth is being blocked and then pivoting to enable growth to that next level. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Good, good, good. So if I were to hire you, is it, am I hiring you or do you bring in a team of ninjas? How does, how does a, a, a typical engagement work? Yeah, no, I am the chief ninja. Um, so I have a, what I would call a private boutique practice. It's me and my wife. My wife handles all the administrative and I handle all the coaching personally. I deal with scaling up education I deal with executive coaching, implementing scaling up methodology, and then I deal with facilitated planning, updating quarterly and annual planning to get the right strategy that we're going to go to market with. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So if you are at a high level, I mean, and to be fair, like most of the people listening to here are people who are aspiring to start a business or they are getting started or they have been running for a little bit, but at least the way I've been, we've been couching this for almost two years now. Wow. That's crazy. Um, is I, we started this cause I didn't want to feel alone anymore when I was struggling with leadership and stuff like that, that I wanted to learn. I realized a lot of other people were in that same boat. And so that's where this podcast came from just flat out. So with that in mind and, and that scale in mind, what would you say, is the blocking thing for most people when they're leading their companies, whether they've been in business for a year or a decade? Um, what I hear a lot and see a lot is leadership succession. They become the bottleneck. They know their business. They're brought all the decisions to make. They're very good at it. A lot of times they enjoy it because they're good at it and people give them accolades. But when you're trying to scale from, you know, 12 to 25, 25 to 50 people, and you have to loosen the reins and then you have to trust and then people are not you, they will never be you. And then they make mistakes and then you're not able to truly have a succession plan. So you get stuck working in the business 
which what I want you to do is spend more time working on it. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. is, um, Dave, I don't know if you've heard this stat before, but out of about 32 million companies in America, less than one half of 1% ever scale over 10 million a year in revenue. I can believe that. One and half of 1% and <laughs> only 4% ever make it over 1 million. That's scary. Now, there's a lot of lifestyle companies that don't want to sure. be over a million or 10 million. That's great. But there's a lot of people who do, but they just can't break through the complexity. They don't see it. They're hardworking. They're smart. They're just not asking themselves the right questions and going through the decisions in the proper way to scale a company. So that in that big number, 34 million is something you said, does that include like, you know, ladies cooking cookies in their, in their kitchens and hanging their shingle out? I mean, so it's all types. 30. Yes. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that we say a lot on this podcast is the only, the CEO founder, leader, whatever you want to call them, they are, have the, a unique job of giving away their job. Mm -hmm. It's like the only, when you're the owner of a company in particular, you can't get fired per se. So giving away your entire job, it's backwards because it's okay. You're allowed to do that and you still have a job. But I, I think, and this is something, I mean, Gary, how many times have we talked about this that I have struggled with is letting go, right? Exactly what you're talking about. Um, letting go. And one of the things, and I would love your thought on this. One of the things that I am currently struggling with is, and, and I, Probably if we listen back to old podcasts, we I've been struggling with it for a long time, but it's the power of my voice being the boss and how that has unintended consequences. That yeah. is something that I am struggling with just for me, because I will say something I've been, the you know, in my head, I'm a dev. I've been a developer for 20 years. That's all I am. I'm nothing special. I just develop and I write code. That's what, that's who I am deep down. So I'm talking to another dev and I'm thinking of us as peers, but we are big enough now that there's a big difference sometimes two or three levels, technically speaking, that between me and that dev, but I don't see that. I don't think about that. So I'll say something and I will find out through the grapevine that I either made their day or I wrecked it in, in ways I had never, no idea was happening at the time. Yeah. And either I have to apologize or I'm glad I made their day one or the other. Uh, and that is something that is, you, there's no, I don't know of a book that talks about that enough, but like they talk about leadership and all this. I mean, I love leadership and I love reading about it and, and, and trying to improve that craft. But that is one of those parts that, boy, that's not in the handbook. It's, it's you know, the, the letting go and how to let go. There's some of that, but not enough. Like, I think that's probably where you you live a lot, if I were to guess, is getting yeah. those owners to to unclench and let someone else. Because we have, you have good people, hopefully, right? Let them do their jobs. And they want to. I think that's what's also. Anyway, Gary, yeah, no. do you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I call that the boss man Bing scenario, where <laughs> <laughs> even though you're a dev and they're devs and you, you can relate to them on the same level in your mind, you're still the one in charge of them getting paid. Therefore your boss may be, it's 
of no fault of your own. And my it's wife no actually writes theirs. all the checks. It's just, so. Well, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't matter. No. Dave, I, I think the biggest thing or the learning curve that, that I went through as a CEO is I was used to always having the answers and I had a pivot to ask more questions because they come to you for a lot of decisions. They expect Dave knows the answers. You do know, if not all of them, 90 plus percent of them. And so in the beginning, you end up giving them because that's how you started the company, having to make a lot of decisions. And that's how your company grew and got momentum. And now think of your focus as not growing the company vis-a-vis revenue profit, Think of your position as growing the people in it who will grow your company. And it's a paradigm shift. And I have to tell you, the biggest epiphany I got is when I started coaching my kids sports. Because when you coach someone else's child, you have to act very differently with a five-year-old that's not yours in the way you talk to them, the way you build their confidence, the way you let them make mistakes on a drill, the way you build, it's incremental, it's step by step. It taught me so much patience as an entrepreneur that I did not have earlier in my career. I knew what I wanted, I wanted it done, and I want it done now. But that's not how you develop people. And so patience, asking enough questions giving them time to answer or find answers and be able to grow from their mistakes is a really key ingredient to getting this whole thing to work. One of my friends who runs a business, I don't know if he made it up, but I'm going to give him credit. His name's Bob. Hello, Bob. He gave some of the best advice that I've ever gotten. And and putting into practice, I still am not good at this, but he said, you know, encourage people like people are going to come to you with problems and they're going to put them on your desk. And the key for business growth and business leadership is making sure that they take them with them when they leave your office. Yes. That is no longer, you're the owner, but that doesn't mean all the problems have to be solved by you. And he, off the top of my head, I cannot remember the phrase he uses, but it was pretty good. It was like something like, and what are you going to do about this? That's, Bingo. Right, just flip it, Bingo. and yes, and I think that that's again. I'm not good at that yet, um, but I that's in the back of my mind to try to. I mean, I I am getting to the point where I'm asking a lot more questions, but to to this isn't me. I, I cannot solve this, or more importantly, I don't want to solve this. Right, like you're saying, I can't fix it all. So, what are you going to do about this? And what we actually just uh, promoted internally. Uh, one of our guys to be the new director of operations. And that is kind of, there's a lot more of that going on. It's like, this is now your wheelhouse. This is your, your baby. You're running ops. That's a lot, right? We're basically an operations company. We built software. And so it's a big, big thing. So, but now having to say, Hey, this is yours now. I, I, I'm not the solve anymore. And okay. you can see him. He's like, Okay. And then he goes and does it, right? So yeah, I totally understand Dave, that. Dave, does your company work with either OKRs or priorities with your team? Considering I don't know what that means, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> what is OKR? Uh, objective key results. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. We should do that. Gary, put that on the list. 
No, we okay. don't. We have R. Got it. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> Google. It. Google and Intel were big people around. We have company objectives, and then we have key results that we have to make in each objective. Some people use simply the word priority. What are the top priorities for the company this year for the quarter? But what I was going to mention as a as a potential tip. Mm-hmm. We want our people to be accountable, and we also want them to be able to predict. I always said, I don't mind bad news. I never like being surprised. Bad news is a reality in life, but don't surprise me with the bad news. If you know it's coming, we should be talking about it before it's coming, if you're managing your business right. So we just simply said to the managers, You all have priorities for your department. In a 13-week quarter, in the second week, Dave, what's the probability that you're going to be 100% on target by the end of the quarter for your priority? And and they'll answer me like, oh, I'm good. I said, no, that's not what I asked. On a scale of 1 to 100, what's your probability in week two that you're going to finish on target week 13, 76%. We make them give me a number because it induces critical thinking. They need to really get focused on coming up with the right number. And then we have a very simple next question. What are you going to do between now and then to put it back on track? And when you start asking that question once a week during the 13 weeks, and their probability and their prediction goes up and their accountability and problem solving during the quarter starts to get more engaged and more intense, people get their stuff done. And then I support wherever I can help. If they're stuck, if there's a roadblock, a boss got to help them and you will help them. So where we where the version of that for us is, if we have a weekly deliverable, little, big, whatever, I will ask on Monday, hey, this is what we've got. You know, this are, is this cool? Does this work? Can you get this done without overtime, without craziness? Yes. Awesome. Cool. All right. Tuesday comes around. How's it going? It's going good? Good. Yep. You're on target? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Wednesday comes around. Still on target? Yep. 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 Thursday comes around. Uh, I'm not going to hit it. You knew that on Tuesday. Right. That, that, come on now. You knew that on Tuesday. And so now, like you're saying, getting surprised, because I've been telling the client, because they're asking me these same questions, right? Yeah. How are we looking for our deliverable? We're looking good. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're looking good. They, this is what I'm feeding in, because this is what I'm receiving. It's going straight through. And Thursday, now, now I look like the idiot. Either I don't, I'm not running my company well, or I've been lying to my client. Neither is good. Right. Yep. And that's where exactly. Don't surprise me. I said, I, if you're off and you know it on Tuesday, tell me on Tuesday, because I'm really good at putting on my dancing shoes and making the clients understand what we're doing. Right. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for. If I don't know that I need to lace up, man, it's just ugly. And, and we run into that all the time. And sure. I mean, part of that software is the sausage of making software is never pretty. It's just nature of the beast. But and, you know, I've been doing this a long, long time now. I'm used to what I know what's coming. I can prep it. I can get the client ready, but I cannot fix what I don't tell them. Because now on Thursday, come in hat in hand. Yeah, all those things I told you. Yeah, totally wrong. I'm so sorry. I, there's nothing you can do with that. 
nothing you can do with that. Yeah. Bank Pixel builds world-class custom software and amazing apps. Our team of pros puts passion into every one of our projects. Our design-infused development leans heavily on delivering a great experience for our clients and their clients. From startups to enterprises, we can help craft your ideas into real-world products that help your business do better business. How did you get, you know, it was a family business, how did you get to, I always like to, the, the origin story, as it were, it's kind of where I'm going, I'm, I'm stumbling over myself, but that the <clears throat> beginning, you took your company business, your family business, sold that, awesome, you loved the people, you loved helping the people, but how did you turn that, that love of people into a business? Um, so origin story-wide, Imagine we were pioneers in the staffing industry in the early 60s. There was hardly any staffing companies around in the early 60s. So when you're a pioneer and you're in the right market, you're a first mover, life is good. And life was good for our company for a couple of decades. But then the market matured. We were geographically constrained. We were more regional, New England. Competitors, bigger competitors, Manpower, Kelly Girls, if you're familiar with any of them, mm -hmm. all started coming in our back door, drop in price, commoditization. And we're like, what happened? So there was a point we had navigated 13 different recessions as a company. That's pretty damn good. So, I mean, you got to yeah. be scrappy to make that through that. But we did. But we weren't growing as quick as we thought we should. We thought the market was evolving faster and we started to plateau. And quite honestly, that scared the living hell out of me. Mm -hmm. So somebody gave me a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. And most small mid-market companies don't have a staff of MBAs who have all done case studies at Harvard or at Stanford or Wharton. We didn't. But the book was kind of a framework on how you should look at sequencing and what methodology would help you grow with less drama and more success. And I said, at this point, I'm open-minded to try anything. And we started implementing the Rockefeller habits one at a time. And over time, we took one, I did it in a startup division, 25 people. 30 months, we went from 25 to 150 people, went from $200,000 bottom line to $4 million a year in under 30 months. Wow. And I didn't work any harder. I wasn't any smarter. It was the same effort, but I was finally doing the right things in the right order that we needed to do to grow the company. And I just wasn't aware. And when you put the playbook in and you can get your entire company around it, synchronized, aligned and accountable, good things start to happen. And it did. And I never look back. I would never start any other company in the future without putting that playbook in day one. And um, there's a lot of well-read people 
that have probably read hundreds, if not thousands of books. And I, I love learning and I think reading is really important, but you know, the biggest lesson I learned, what are the few books that you're willing to master, not just read? Hmm. Are you willing to read the same book 50 times? If that book provides mastery in a thing that's going to change your business to incredible heights, most people don't. But that's I said, true. out of all the things I've done and read, it works. Now I need to master it. And if I master it, my business life will be a hundredfold better. And it was. And that was just maturity as a CEO, kind of understanding, you know, where to lean, where to pivot. And I had some wonderful people. I didn't want to let them down. You know, the livelihoods of the people you employ. A, and I was concerned about A players because A players want a bigger future. And is your company going to be able to give it to them or is it going to be somebody else? Now, even if I created a company that was successful, lifestyle, I made a lot of money. I come and go as I want and please. That's good for me, but it's not good for all the other eight players one year, three year, five years down the road. So the only way I know to grow a great company and keep eight players is to keep growing a company to have bigger opportunities for all of us. And that's what pushed me over the top to say, I got to be all in or I got to be prepared to get out. And I never looked back once I got all in. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. It, a lot of that resonates with what my business group talks about on a regular basis. One of the things that they, I've heard, I haven't read um, the Rockefeller Habits. That, that one is referenced a ton. Um, I have heard that the traction uh, EOS kind of system is a newer version of those, a lot of those same principles. Uh, I just read with my new director of operations, um, Rocket Fuel, oh, uh, sure. which is all about the integrator visionary relationship. And one of the analogies that you mentioned resonates pretty heavily with that book. They were talking about when you have that relationship really well established and it's working, you can take it. They use an archery thing. If you fire 50 arrows, but they're all going in different places, you're not going to hit anything. And so a good relationship starts turning those arrows. So they're all pointing to the same place. And again, that sounds very similar to what you're talking about. And that is one of the things I find difficult is in the thick of it. You don't know if you're doing it right. Right. It's, it's, it's one of those things you see, you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see that. I see, I see this. We had the synergistic kind of goodies, whatever. The arrows were all pointing to the right spot. But when you're in the thick of it, it still feels like sausage making to me. Sure. And that's where I, I'm trying to figure that out. How do you get that distance to know that you are actually doing that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you ever um, – I've heard boxers talk about this. When they're first beginning to learn how to box, every punch seems like it's coming at them like a million miles an hour. But the better you get with your technique, the more years you put in the gym, mastering the different aspects of it, the fight seems to slow down. Almost like the matrix I would describe, the mm -hmm. movie. It's the same way with scaling up. If you've been 
leaning in and mastering the diagnostics. Do you know how to assess the problem in your company? And then do you know the right tool? Your business will slow down around you and you'll be able to see and react before others even know what the hell is going on. And it's a matrix type moment for me that I used to think of a problem, assess the wrong problem. I thought it was a strategy problem. It was a people problem, but I took a people tool, a people initiative to fix it. And I ended up making it even worse. So it's understanding how to diagnose correctly and then how to pick the right tool like a doctor, the right medication once you did diagnose. And that takes years of practice and understanding and insight to pull off. And when I realized that and, and put in the work, I saw it actually happen around me. I could talk about it in the beginning, but it took years to really feel it around me happening. Hmm. That reminds me of a story. It was a guy talking about fighting and he says, you can always tell someone who knows how to fight versus someone who just wants to hit you. Cause when they start swinging, someone who knows what they're doing and Gary's done a lot of martial arts, he's nodding for the non non-visual people. Um, you see her swinging. If you've been swung at before, he's like, that doesn't scare you. You don't freak out and, and, and start wailing around like I would, cause I'm an idiot, but He's like, when you really know what you're doing, you just kind of get out of the way and just watch them do their thing. And they, and you just get them up and they tire themselves out. And then it's, it's go time. Right. And it's kind of like, that's, it's kind of funny how those analogy works. Cause in the, in the midst of it, I guess in my, this is my first company. Right. And you know, our listeners, it's their first company. We're going to be flailing because we, we've not done this before. We haven't seen this. We don't have that. What are the tricks? I mean, besides, 20 years of doing it, which I, you know, I don't have that kind of time because <laughs> yeah. if I had 20 years, I'm, uh, I'm already 20 years too late. How do you get that perspective earlier or what tips can you do so that I can fast, fast forward to that, get that knowledge to not just start freaking out? Yeah. Um, so it's a self-serving answer, Dave, mm -hmm. but it's the reason why I got a business coach when I did, I self-implemented for about 18 months thought we were smart, thought we were hardworking. I read the book. I'm like, yeah, we can do this. Why not? Right. And then what I found was I didn't know what I didn't know. Yep. And so I'm misinterpreting the concept. I'm using the wrong tool or the right tool incorrectly. And I was with a friend at dinner and I'm all excited and I'm talking about this implementation. He goes, are you crazy? I said, what do you mean? He goes, this isn't a hobby. You're talking about your company. Why would you be playing around, dabbling in your company? Why wouldn't you go out and per get a person that's been there, done that, and you learn off his mistakes versus you having to spend the next decade making your own mistakes and then finally catching up? And it hit me right between the eyes. I said, you're absolutely right. And then it was a question of just finding the right coach for you and your company. So if you are, I mean, everyone needs a mentor coach. I'm a big believer in that, but those things cost money, right? Yep. 
Hiring someone like you costs money. So yeah. at what stage, I mean, are you saying if you're at a million in revenue or are you saying now nah, you can do it sooner than that, or it should be 5 million in revenue? What is, what is a good thing where coaches, you know, if you, you're talking about only 4% get to a million plus. Okay. So that seems like there's room for coaching there clearly, yeah. but you, the, you're still too new. Maybe like, where do you find that, that need? mentors is yeah. one thing, but the coach. Yeah. Um, normally under a million is tough, Dave. So mm -hmm. if you're under a million, it's tough, but I don't look at it as an all or not, uh, all or nothing proposition. I look at it at stages. So if I'm a half a million dollar company or 300,000 and I'm building and all I can afford to do is pay 20 bucks and go out and get the book, you're going to be farther ahead than 90% of the other people who never read it. So kudos for you. You're going to get the momentum. You're going to get education. After the book, um, I'm a professor of the master's course for scaling up education. So after the book, if you can't afford the coach, enroll in a scaling up master's business course. And then get your next level of uh, engagement and adoption. By that point, you should be building up revenue and, and knowledge and momentum that you should be able to look at some coaching options. They have leadership team options for bigger companies with groups of three to five or eight leadership team members. And they have one-on-one -on -one options for smaller companies where it's really just still the CEO and maybe their number two in command that needs to get coaching. So think of it as levels of investment based upon where you're at to get you to the next place you want to go to. Nice. Nice. That's good advice. All right, Gary, do your thing. Well, for some of the people that don't have that kind of money just yet, haven't bought a book yet, we're hoping you can give them three pieces of advice. What are your top three pieces of advice for a new entrepreneur, new business or a startup? Um, keeping it simple, ask yourself, do you have a growth methodology that you're employing in your company? If you don't have a formal growth methodology, pay 20 bucks and at least learn about one. And mastering the Rockefeller habits is an excellent way to get started. Dip your toes. Dave, like you, I read a lot of them. I've studied traction. Um, oh God, there's, there's like four or five, but I studied them all. And I, I want my clients to have the benefit of best practices in all of them. But I just found for my particular journey, scaling up had the most extensive use of tools and methodology. And that was important to me. But start somewhere. Number two, um, are you asking yourself the right questions? Because unfortunately, hardworking, smart people don't always build a su successful company. So the right questions are around the four important decisions in the company. People, do you have the right people in the right seats? Strategy, are you differentiated in the market with something that clients value? and is distinctive from your competition. Execution, are all your processes running efficiently? 
And are you making industry-leading bottom lines? And finally is cash. Do you have enough internal cash to fund the internal growth rate that your company desires? Because if not, you're going to family, friends, beg, borrow, steal to get it. And we like to create companies that can internally generate enough cash flow to self-fund and only go outside when necessary. So if you can ask those questions and you get good answers, you're in the right place. The final thing I would recommend, I think owners and entrepreneurs deserve to run their business when unfortunately I find a lot of businesses run them. Mm. They're working way too many hours. They're way too underpaid. They're taking 100% of the risk and they're in jeopardy of not leaving a legacy for the reason why they began the company in the first place. So if you're feeling under rewarded and that the company's running you, you need to take charge and get your company back. And I do believe there are ways to do that with the methodology. So I, I hope you found that helpful. No, that's great. I think those are all unique, Gary. Yeah, very unique and very specific to like the coaching aspect of what we were talking about. So those were right in line. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Well, well this has been amazing. Learn... I really enjoyed that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Shut, shut up, man. I was talking. I was doing good stuff there. <laughs> no, I was just saying thank you so much for joining us. This has been really, really great. All right. Now, Gary, do your thing. Now, Herb, if anybody wants to learn more about you or your company, how can they find you? Yeah. Um, simply go to my website, aspiregrowthadvisors.com. You can also look me up on LinkedIn, but aspiregrowthadvisors.com is the easiest way to do it. Uh, if you want to know the readiness of your company to scale, we have a very simple assessment to help you determine your current readiness. If you want to know your readiness as a leader, we have a high impact leader assessment, which will give you a sense of how you're developing on your leadership and how your business is developing for further scaling growth. So please take advantage. And I thank you guys for your time. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. We're going to put those links in our show notes as well. So they'll be available for anybody. Well, with that, we are out. Thank you again, Herb, for joining us. And I appreciate your time. Happy yeah. New Year to both of you. Thank you. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to everybody listening. Hi, I'm Christy Pronto, Content Marketing Director here at Big Pixel. Thank you for listening to this episode of the BizDev Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email. Hello at thebigpixel.net. The BizDev Podcast is produced and presented by Big Pixel. See you next week. Until then, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Threads, YouTube, and LinkedIn.